So today we are going through a number of different short vignettes from from the book of Joshua, and we are in the period where he is he is in the midst of distributing the land. And so remember the land as it's being distributed. So so the major battles are done. There's lots of regional tribal battles that are going to take place still against the Ammonites and the Canaanites that are there. The major battle has been done. No more will they take the entire nation of Israel and and bring them against forces. Now it's going to be individual tribes fighting for the territory that's been mapped out. The land, remember, is given in two ways. It's given according to the number of people in a tribe, so the size of your tribe, and then it's done according to lot. So lots were drawn, and the lots were drawn, and it was distributed by lot, but also according to the size of the tribe. The bigger the, the lots were, the, the bigger the tribes were, the bigger the, the portion they got. Okay, so in, in, uh, in Joshua chapter 15, he's distributing, he's distributing this land, and he's distributing it to the territory of, of uh, Judah. And then he goes on down, further on down, and, and uh, in, verse, in verse 32, there's an interesting word there. It says in verse 32 of Joshua chapter 15, And Lebeoth and Shilhim and Ain and Rimon in all 29 cities with their villages. So, in fact, if you go ahead and you really read the number of cities that were given to Judah, it was 38 cities. And, and uh, here it says 29. So if you read the list, it's 38, and then it says 29. So what's going on here? And it turns out 38 minus 9 is 29. There were nine cities that are going to end up being given to, to uh, uh, the tribe of Simeon. And that's in, in Joshua chapter 19. It talks about that. But what I want to do is I just want to look back at a... At a at, and we've read this before. I want to look back in Genesis at a prophecy that was made when uh, Jacob was praying over his sons in Genesis 49. In Genesis 49, Jacob is, is, is praying over his sons and when he's doing this, he's, he's, there's a prophecy going here. And he gets to two of his sons, and two of his sons were Simeon and Levi. Now, Simeon and Levi had killed the, the entire residents of Shechem when there was not a time of war. And he went, they went in there because they, they, one of the, the leaders of Shechem, their, their son, had uh, raped their sister raped one of the children of, of uh, uh, Jacob. And two of the sons of Jacob went and they killed all the men in that town by deception. Those two men were named Simeon and Levi, those two sons. And when he was praying over them in Genesis 49, verse 5, it says, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are implements of violence. Let my soul not enter into their counsel. Let not my glory be united with their assembly, because their anger, in their anger they slew men, and in their self-will they lamed oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will disperse them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So look at the, 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 the prayer he prays over them. Imagine your father, before his death, praying over you a prayer like that. But he says, 
he says of them that they're not going to get any land. He says, I'm going to disperse them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So those were Simeon and Levi. And it turns out Simeon was never given their own portion. There are there were 38 cities given to the tribe of Judah. Nine of those cities are going to be given to Simeon within the tribe of Judah. So Judah is getting this, this whole area. It's from just south of Jerusalem, the border of the Dead Sea, all the way down to the bottom of the Dead Sea. It talks about the tongue of the Dead Sea, all the way to the bottom and across. This area, large amount of land is given to the tribe of Judah. It is this area in here where these cities are, these nine cities that are going to be given to the Simeonites. And it turns out, eventually, the Simeonites were subsumed by Judah. And we also know that many of the Simeonites ended up moving north into the tribal area of Ephraim. And there's many passages about that. So they were all dispersed. Levi, we're going to see, were never given any land either. They became the priests and they were given cities within everybody else's land. So here you had about 500 years earlier, a prayer by Jacob over his sons. And now 500 years later, that is being manifest, that they're not getting any land in this. There's already been, the land has already been distributed on this side. So this is the Jordan, runs from the, from the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea. This side has already been distributed to Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh. Manasseh was a very large tribe. They get half of, they get half of a tribal area here, and they get another half just in here, uh, right next to, to Ephraim, because Ephraim and Manasseh were brothers. So that's an interesting thing that we pick up there. Uh, let's look in Joshua, in Joshua now, Joshua chapter 16, Joshua chapter 16, and in Joshua chapter 16, uh, you, you have this, this distribution to Ephraim, and, and so remember, so Joseph was a really blessed son, Joseph had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, so he had two sons, and, uh, uh, He's going through this this tribal portion of Ephraim. And it turns out, if you look in in verse 10 here, so we're just picking up little things here that that are little treasures. Verse 10, it says of Joshua chapter 16, but they did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer, so that the Canaanites lived in the midst of Ephraim to this day, and they became forced laborers. So you see what happened here is is Ephraim is, is up over here given land over here, and there's this town, Gezer. They never drove those in Gezer out of that area, but they forced them into forced labor. They couldn't drive them out, and they didn't drive them out. And so you see that, that actually it was eventually overtaken. It's, it's an interesting portion in First Kings chapter 9. First Kings chapter 9, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, 400 years later, is going to attack Gezer and conquer it and give it as a dowry for his daughter who's marrying King Solomon. And you say, well, I thought they already had the town of Gezer. They didn't have the town of Gezer. If you look in Joshua, they never took that city. They had control of the people around there, but they were never able to liberate that town of Gezer. And Pharaoh ends up liberating it and giving it to Solomon as a dowry when Solomon marries the daughter of, of Pharaoh. 
It's really interesting the way all of these things come together. All of these pieces come together. And then, then uh, uh, if we look in, in Joshua chapter 17, another interesting passage here. It's, it says in, in, verse, uh, in, in, in verse 3, Joshua chapter 17, verse 3, it says, However, Zelophehad, the son of Hepher, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, had no sons, only daughters. And these are the names of the daughters, Mala, Noha, Hagla, Milka, and Tirzah. They came near Eleazar the priest and before Joshua the son of Nun, and before the leaders, saying, The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brothers. So according to the command of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among their father's brothers. Thus there fell ten portions to Manasseh beside the land of Gilead and Bashan, which is beyond the Jordan. So, there is a group of women, there is a group of sisters that got a portion of the land. It was normally given to the sons. The firstborn son would get two-thirds portion. He'd get a double portion of everyone else. So the firstborn son was always given two-thirds of, of, of the inheritance. And all the other children will split the remaining one-third. That's, that's, the way it, that's the way it went throughout Israel. But there's a portion here that, that we want to look at. Let's, let's look back in Numbers chapter 27. So Numbers is a couple of books back. And in Numbers 27, it references these women again. It references these women in the account. And this is something where they approached not just Joshua. They had already approached their families that already approached uh, um had approached Moses. It says, Then the daughters of Zelophad, the son of Hepher, this is in Numbers 27, verse 1, the daughters of Zelophad, the son of Hepher, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, of the families of Manasseh, the sons of Joseph, came near. And these are their names of their daughters, Mela, Noha, Hagla, Milka, and Tirzah. They stood before Moses and before Eliezer, the priest, and before the leaders and all the congregations at the doorway of the tent of meeting, saying, Our father died in the wilderness, yet he, is n- he was not among the company of those who gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but he died in his own sin, and he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be withdrawn from among his family, because he had no sons? Give us possessions among our father's brothers. So Moses brought their case before the Lord. So think of this situation. Now, these are all young women. We know that they're less than 20 years old. And we know that because if they had been over 20 at the time of Kadesh Barnea, they would have been under the curse and never gotten into the land. So these are just young women, probably in their early teens, because they're not yet married either. And so the typical age for marrying was often 14 or 15 for a woman. So these are very young women. And they come, their father has died, he only had daughters. And it is amazing that the Bible is the great liberator for women. And you're like, huh? I didn't understand that. Understanding the generation, understanding the time that they were in. Actually, Jesus was another great liberator for women. He had many women in his inner circle. It says in Luke chapter 8, there were many women that traveled with their company and supported him from their private means. And then it lists even the wealthy women that supported him. Jesus first appeared to Mary, a woman. That is significant. He first appeared to a woman named Mary. There were women in the upper room. 
And so you see this circle. And not only did he first appear to Mary, then he appeared to a bunch of other women before he ever appeared to the twelve. That is highly significant. Remember the generation that they were in. It is very easy for us to judge past generations, past generations. But remember, in the same way you judge others, you yourself will be judged. Your children will judge you. Yes, another generation will judge you. They will judge you because you eat meat, because you eat animals. Animals are killed so that you can eat. Because in 30 years, all meat is going to be produced in laboratory slash manufacturing systems where you don't have to kill animals anymore. And they're going to judge you for killing animals. And meat, meat can be made that way. Genetically, you can do that sort of thing. You will be judged for driving in cars. You know that CO2 is bad for the environment. And people are going to hold you accountable for that. You knew it. And yet you persisted in it. You could have ridden a bicycle here. You could have. But you chose to, to drive in a vehicle that was blowing out CO2. And you'll say, hey, you know, this is, everybody did it. They, but, but you knew. You knew, didn't you? You knew. Your children will judge you. Your grandchildren will judge you. That's why I'm saying the Bible says in the same way that you judge another, you yourself will be judged. So remember, be very careful how you judge another generation. In that generation, that was profound. These women are, women are appealing to Moses because the command had already been given by God. God gave the command. It is given to the oldest son. There is no son. So they're appealing to him. Our father died. Why should his inheritance be divided up? He didn't rebel against you. He died in his normal sin. And so Moses brings the case before the Lord. Look what good leadership does. He brings the case before the Lord. It says in verse 6, Then the Lord smoked, spoke to Moses, saying, The daughters of the sons of Zelophehad are right in their statements. Think about that. Moses, the man of God, the one who's proclaiming the commandments of God over Israel, goes to the Lord about this, and God says, Those women are right. They're right. He says, They're right. He says, You shall surely give them a hereditary possession among their father's brothers, and you shall transfer the inheritance of their fathers to them. This was amazing. We're going to give women land? We're going to make women landowners? You say, oh, come on, this it should be. That's another generation. That was so profound to take a woman of that day, young women, and make them landowners. He says, further, you shall speak to the sons of Israel, saying, if a man dies and has no sons, then you shall transfer his inheritance to his daughter. If he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. If no brothers, they shall give the inheritance to his father's brothers. If his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his nearest relative in his own family. And he shall possess it, and it shall be a statutory ordinance to the sons of Israel, just as the Lord commanded Moses." God institutes new regulations, new commandments based on a situation that arose. How can this be? Didn't God foresee this happening? Was God blindsided by this? Oh my goodness, I forgot about that situation. You know, I was coming up with all these rules and regulations. Just forgot that one. No. What we see is actually the commandments were given in response to things that were happening. God was giving wisdom and insight what to do in response to things that are happening. You see this throughout the New Testament. You see these things occurring throughout the New Testament. It's going to later come that these women are going to want to get married. 
And then the people from that tribe are going to say, well, wait a minute, if they marry, then the inheritance is going to go to the other tribe because it's going to be committed to their husband and it's going to end up in another tribe. And then all of that territory will be lost. And so another commandment comes and says, if they're going to be given land, they must marry within their tribe. And so it says all of those women then married within their tribe. That's why I'm saying these are quite young women that are coming, number one. Number two, you see this coming of commandments according to what is needed. You see the same sort of pattern in the church. The same sort of pattern comes. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You'll see an occurrence that occurs in the church that's going to, to force Paul to come up with some new understanding here on what to do with the situation. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, remember the, 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 the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians is part of the epistles where we're getting our commandments in the New Testament on how we live. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says in verse 1, it is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not even exist among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife, and you have become arrogant and have not mourned instead, so that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. So there is a man in the Corinthian church that is sleeping with his father's wife. That means his father has remarried. It's not his mother, but his father's remarried. And he is with his father's wife. And he is a member of the church in Corinth. And Paul says, get rid of him. Remove him from your midst. You deal with issues like this, you're going to have to tell him he can't come here anymore. That's what Paul says to deal with him. And this is how we get understanding on how to deal with certain issues. Then he says, For I, on my part, though absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this, as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Paul said, I take that man, and I am delivering his spirit over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Can Satan destroy the flesh? Look in the book of Job and find out what Satan can do to a man's flesh when God so releases him over to Satan. Look in the book of Job. He says, I have committed that man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. It talks about here the retention of the, of the spirit of a person, the, the salvation that occurs, that once you've been accepted in Christ, there is salvation. You're not going to do acts that are going to get you out of salvation. You do acts, you get back into salvation. He says his spirit is going to be retained, but he's going to undergo great turmoil. And that's what they did. They, 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 they had him removed from the church. He says, you know, a little bit of leaven corrupts the whole lump of dough. You've got to get rid of him. But now look in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, the book of, of 2 Corinthians. And we're going to look at uh, uh, chapter 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And he's going to address this issue. So this is now the second letter 
That was the first letter to the Corinthians. This is now the second letter to the Corinthians. Look what he says concerning this individual. They obviously took steps. They removed the man. Now the man is, is turned over to Satan. And now he says to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, he says, Sufficient for such a one is this punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, so that on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Wherefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. So he says, he, he, he says, I want you to reaffirm your love for him. For to this end, I also wrote so that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. But one whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of the Lord. So that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his scheme. So what he's saying is, you know, the guy you threw out of your church, you did well in doing it. He's ready to repent. Bring him back in. He says, sufficient for such a one is the punishment that was inflicted. So that on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. He says he's already, he's humbled himself. It's corrected. Now welcome him back in. Here you see a situation came up in the church. And Paul is giving new commandments to the church on how to deal with certain issues. Back in 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, you are to judge the people within your midst. He says, I never told you to judge people outside. Outside the church, they're slaves of sin. Outside the body of Christ, a man or a woman is a slave of sin. You're not going to be judging them. You're judging within any so-called brother, he says, who is in the church, is responsible. Then you can hold accountable. If they're outside the church, first get them saved. Then you can deal with these issues. That's what he's talking about. But you see, it's sort of the, the rolling commandments as situations come up. That's why things come up in the local church. And there's issues you have to deal with. And sometimes you're not sure. What do you do? You go before the Lord and you ask the Lord, Lord, give me wisdom. Give me understanding. And he real, reveals verses from the scriptures that begin to address these sorts of situations. It's not that God is blindsided. God knows all this. It's that he forces us to go back to him for understanding. He forces Moses to go back to him. If everything were well defined for Moses, he would have said, and in the cases when there is a, when the guy has no sons, and in the cases when these daughters are going to marry outside. No, it forces us back to the Lord. Lord, what do I do in this situation? Not everything you handle in life is dealt with in here. Should I go to medical school or should I become a bioengineer? Try to find that in this book. <laughs> so what do you do? It forces you to go back to the Lord and to say, Lord, what do I do in this situation? Lord, how do I handle this? Do you see, it's not that God has left us without a witness, without instruction for no reason. He's left us this way so that we can continue to go back to him to address every issue. Not every issue in our lives is going to be addressed in this way. So, so these are the types of understandings we get from this book. And so let, let's look at uh, one, other, one other portion in, in Joshua now. Joshua chapter 17. Turning back to Joshua in Joshua chapter 17. And we're going to look down at, at verse uh, 12 and 13. Down at verse 12 and 13 of Joshua chapter, chapter uh, uh 
17, Joshua chapter 17, it says, But the sons of Manasseh could not take possession of these cities because the Canaanites persisted in living in the land. And it came about when the sons of Israel became strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but they did not drive them out completely. So there was a portion of Manasseh where they couldn't drive out the Canaanites. They just couldn't do it. And so they didn't drive them out. They said, oh, well, you know, they can live amongst us. You know, if we catch them, we'll, we'll make them into forced labor. The result of this is that there was this, this, uh, this assimilation, this synchronism. There was this assimilation of these people, and it started to, they started to mix their worship practices with the practices of the children of Israel. And then it started to draw the children of Israel into idolatry. And as a result of that idolatry, they lost the rest and the peace that Joshua had given them. And it was ultimately going to end in the destruction of the northern kingdom. These little things of not dealing with the people to say, well, they're too tough for us. They could have dealt with them. God had showed them over and over again that they could have dealt with these issues. But they chose not to. They chose not to ultimately deal with them. And then if you look down in verse 14, it says, Then the sons of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given me only one lot and one portion for an inheritance, since I am the numerous people whom the Lord has given us, uh, uh, people whom the Lord has thus far blessed? So they appealed to Joshua. This is the sons of, 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 uh, of, of uh, Joseph who were Ephraim and Manasseh. Now Joseph is an Ephraimite. They probably thought they're going to get a favorable view you know, because uh, 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 Joshua is one of their brothers. Joshua was in charge. They said, they said to Joshua, uh, um, you know, give us more inheritance. And Joshua says to them in verse 15, if you are a numerous people, go up to the forest and clear the place for yourself. There is land there in the land of the Perizzites and the Rephaim, since the hill country of Ephraim is too narrow for you. He says, you've got a hill country, it's too narrow. He says, your lot is huge. Just go dispossess, displace these people and the land is yours. He says, take it. If you're a great people, take it. They say, they, they, they say to him in, in verse 16, the sons of Joseph said, the hill country is not enough for us and the Canaanites who live in the valley have chariots of iron, both those who are in Beth Shean and its towns and those who are in the valley of Jezreel. Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, You are a numerous people. You have great power. You shall not have one lot only, but the hill country shall be yours. For though it is a forest, you shall clear it. And its furthest borders, it shall be yours. For you shall drive out the Canaanite, even though they have chariots of iron and though they are strong. So what happens? They come in, they say, look, you gave us some territory here, but the people there are really strong. First of all, it's forested. How are we going to plant our land? He says, go clear the land, deforest it and clear the land and plant. And then they said, well, the people there are really strong and they have chariots. Chariots are like tanks. He says, deal with them, deal with them. He says, we conquered the people up there in the north, just uh, uh, that lake above the Sea of Galilee. They had chariots. He conquered them. He says, now go conquer them. They wanted more given to them because they couldn't take what was already allotted to them. This so often, often happens in our lives. We come crying to God, Lord, can't I just have this? And the Lord's like, I gave you so much. Conquer it. Take it. And I see this sort of pattern. I'll give you examples from my own lab. I can hire somebody and they'll say, well, you know, I went in there, to, the bench isn't clean, you know. The, the, so, well, what would you, would you like me to do? Would you like me to go clean the bench for you? Get in there and clean the bench! 
Clean the bench. Well, they, somebody else left it dirty. Well, they're gone now. Clean it. I mean, what's the problem? Clean the bench. Just clean it up and get to work. You know, stop being like this. Just take it and go forward. Everything you want handed to you. This is what happens in other... No, I want it to be really nice. Make it nice. Deforest it. Throw out the people with the, with the chariots. You know, claim that space. This is your space. Go take that. Do it. Accomplish this work. And these people, so often, they be, are recurring problems. Well, I couldn't get it because of this, this, this. And I'm like, you know, I got people right next to you, and they never complain about anything. They just keep getting the job done. How is it that you can have two people? You'll have two children one day. One, one kid never complains. They keep doing things. And the other one, you've you got to spoon feed them all the time. This is exactly what's happening. The, the brothers are pointing at each other. This, this is exactly what happens in our lives. He says, take it. He's given us everything we need. With his son, he's given us everything we need to conquer in life. And if we keep thinking, somebody owes me something. Somebody's got to do more for me. You'll never take your land. You'll never accomplish it. And you'll be delegated to a little area in life, always complaining that you've never had enough. You take what he has given you and you conquer the land. It is not up to other people to give to you because they'll give it to you and you'll want more. You'll want them to give you more. You'll want them to give you more. He has given you everything you need in Christ Jesus to succeed. You go and you take the land. And Joshua said, I'm not giving you anything else. You just go and you take those, that land, you deforest it, and you dispossess the people. That is your lot, period. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would take one, is, one of these truths today that we have seen here about your word and you would renew it to these young people. Father, I pray that you would take them and you would minister the life of Christ to them, that they wouldn't have an entitled attitude, but they would take the land, they would take the talents that you have given them and they would accomplish the work that's before them. Father, I pray for the grace of God to abound on their hearts. The grace of God abound on their hearts. Lord, I pray for those here who do not know you. Lord, the scripture says that they are slaves to sin, caught in sin. Father, draw them into a place. Draw them into a place where they would pray, Lord Jesus, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. And Father, I pray for these young people that they would be like Moses and they would bring before you situations that arise in their lives and to say, Lord, what should we do? Lord, what should I do? And that you would speak to them from the scriptures and reveal to them understanding for their situations. May the grace of God be upon them for the glory of Jesus. Amen.